It's September, and for most of the dairy goat world, it means the scent of love is in the air. On this week's episode of Goat Gab, Cameron and I welcome special guest Levi Campbell to discuss how to ensure your bucks are ready for the breeding season or for collection. Hello and welcome to our newest episode of Goat Gab. As always, I'm one of your co-hosts, Laura Warren-Hughes. And I'm the other host, Cameron Jodlowski. And today we are very excited to be joined by a very special guest, um, my friend and yours. This is Levi Campbell. Hello. Levi comes to us um, with a lot of goat experience. And he's one of those people that if you don't know Levi, you should get to know Levi. Um Looking at his professional area and why we've got him with us, um, he has a bachelor's of science in animal science from good old K-State University. So um, he he's a Kansas native, but we're really happy to have him in Missouri for now. So he's currently employed as an embryologist at Transova Genetics in Chillicothe, Missouri, and he specializes in their small ruminant production. So um in addition to his professional life, Levi is the owner-operator of Cryo Caprine, which means that he travels all around the United States collecting bucks for people. And he's done some of the top herds in the country over the past several years. So mm-hmm. from coast to coast, which That's I think right. is kind of cool. Yep. And um, in addition, he's also a breeder, of course, and he has very beautiful national show placing La Manchas and Alpines under the herd name of Panacea. So welcome, Levi. We're so glad to have you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, do you want to start us out and kind of tell us what's going on on your farm? And we usually start out that way. Sure. Absolutely. We So we um, have finished up a couple of our last shows. We went, hit a couple state fairs and um, we were contemplating hitting another fall show. But I think this, this uh, Nebraska State Fair is our last one. Um, with the cooler weather we've had, we are uh, starting to have some uh, dose cycle, which is maybe just a little earlier for us than normal, but we're certainly not upset about it. No dose bread yet, but um, definitely are. That's going to be soon in our future. Um, other than that, uh, my brother Josh and I are doing pretty well, and I'm looking forward to the breeding season and the buck collection season. So, in your job at Transova, is this heading into a busy season for you, or not quite so busy? I'm not quite as uh, busy on the cattle side, but the small ruminant side is starting to ramp up. Um, as you can imagine, most people are wanting to do uh, repro work when uh, their goats are they normally be breeding goats, um, if not a little earlier than that. And so, this is starting to be a time where uh, the small ruminant season is really starting to get a lot of dates on the calendar um, and fill in my schedule. So when you talk about those small ruminants, uh, dairy goats, of course, since we're a dairy goat podcast, absolutely. and I know that that is a, an element that started out maybe a little slower, but it's starting to pick up. Yeah. So uh, originally we, uh, most of our clientele were um, some club sheep and then a lot of boar goats. And um, as time goes on and people um, know myself or Stanton or somebody else at the company, we've started to pick up a lot more dairy goat clients. And so dairy goats pick up a larger percentage of our client, small ruminant clientele than they did when we first started out. And you guys um, not only just do like IVF work, but you also mm-hmm. do some work with some animals that are maybe hard to get bred. Some of those problem animals that you just want another kid or two or 10 sure. out of, right? <clears throat> yeah. So um, Stanton Warren was on a pad- podcast earlier and I'm not sure if he spoke on these things or not, but um, sometimes, uh, the IVF program is nice for a problem animal that maybe can't carry, um, a gestational term, or they just have a hard time, um, breeding otherwise for whatever reason, whether they have damage to their repro tract or, um, some other issue that's causing them not to breed. But, um, at one point the IVF program was going to be targeted as a solution for some problem donors, but with a, uh, its success and, um, how well people get along, uh, they're using it m- more broadly than just as a problem animal. It's pretty cool. Yep, absolutely. And Levi, you as well use some of these practices in your everyday life um, in your farm operation, correct, as well? Yes, sir. Yep, we do some IVF work, and um, we're going to actually do a couple of those here in just a couple of days. Awesome. 
it kind of helps make a bigger impact with the small herd. Absolutely. There, uh, we have a doe that um, we were sure wanting to have a replacement herd sire out of. So um, we we did that just a couple of years ago and the first babies are on the ground this year then and we're pretty happy with it. And it wasn't, she's not a overly huge producer, but she definitely um, did enough and we got a two herd sires out of the deal and um, we're pretty happy about that. Now, when you did that, did you get two, did you use two different sires on that for the IVF stuff or? So um, we, we just used one sire and the reason is, like I said, she doesn't produce a lot of ovum um, or unfertilized eggs. So she did not have enough to um, warrant two fertilizations. If a doe were to make uh, 35 or 40 or more 50, um, then it would actually be a good idea to split them to two different um, sires just for the um, advantage of having two chances at getting viable embryos. And so um, the way it kind of works is it's it doesn't behoove you at all to fertilize um, three oocytes to one sire just because they kind of feed off of each other hormonally. And so there's a kind of a cutoff on how many oocytes you'd want to be able to split, which is a whole different conversation yeah. as well. <laughs> My eyes are glazing over. Could you tell that? A little bit. Like, oh, <laughs> this, this is, as a non-vet person, this is, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'd have to bring Catherine in here. She's somewhere around here, and she might yeah. join me here <laughs> later on after she has some goats, because I'm sure she she always loves to talk with you, Levi, here, and we are very excited to have you on. Oh, thank you very much. I'm excited to be here. So, Levi, you'd mentioned um, Nebraska State Fair. So, as somebody who, who was there on this facility, this beautiful facility everybody talked about that would have been amazing for a national show in 2020 and we didn't get to go there. You want to share a little bit about like what it was like to be there and so forth? Sure, absolutely. So um, <clears throat> to my knowledge, the barn that we are, uh, the dairy goats are in for the fair is not the one of the primary barns that would be used. So we were in the swine barn and I think they were going to use something called the pavilion and then uh, maybe it's called the sheep barn or something like that. But um, the, all of the facilities are great to be in. And um, even the barns that are more open, um, they have those large fans on the ceilings. And it constantly feels, it feels like there's a nice breeze coming through. And so as far as comfortable, um, it's very comfortable to be in the barns. And the facilities are great. Easy to access from I-80. Um, I, th- I think it's a great opportunity to use if if we can and so definitely a place i would think is good for people to come to i i hope maybe they'll consider that down the road absolutely it swings back around yep so talk to your directors that's right talk to your directors (laughs) so cameron what's going on with you well uh i judged the nebraska state fair this week um i had the opportunity to see in my opinion, probably some of the best goats I had seen all year in terms of depth of quality of breeds. I mean, there would be like 10 goats in a class and, and the quality would be all the way down the line. So it was um, mm-hmm. truly humbling to be there. And Levi, you were there firsthand and you got to see the depth of quality. Don't you agree that the depth of quality was really tremendous there? Oh, absolutely. And I feel like the um, big premiums that Nebraska State Fair offers does bring in a lot of quality animals from other states. So I think we hit a um, bigger perimeter of exhibitors uh, at the Nebraska State Fair. And it's, it's truly my favorite show that I go to. Yeah, I would say, you know, there was exhibitors from New Mexico there. There was a, a herd from Idaho, yep. Indiana. I mean, I counted at one point. I think there was uh, South Dakota. I think there was like three or four districts, D3, D4, D5, D6, and D7. So, so a, a large number of districts there that truly was uh, a phenomenal show uh, to judge and, and then to be, exhibit as well. And I would say that for you as well. Yep. For sure. Yeah. But I've just, I've just been doing a lot of judging, 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 and more judging. Um, and then uh, this weekend I judged the DuCoin state fair, uh, which was great as well. And um, great to judge the youth show and then the open show there. And then I also got to milk my goats, which was really exciting after being on the road for so long. <laughs> Are you saying that tongue in cheek or it really was exciting? No, like I think there's just some solace or peacefulness or some type of like just calming nature about milking the goats. And maybe it's the repetitive nature of it. Maybe it's just I've just been kind of on a crazy schedule. But I think doing chores at night is just super kind of relaxing. 
Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. I'd agree too. I, it always makes me sad to dry the doughs off because I don't have that. Mm-hmm. That Zen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, yes. That Zen is perfect there. And you know, my dad and I were talking about how we wanted to do this here and what were our thoughts for continuing to milk. Obviously we're on DHIR um, and how long we wanted to keep our doughs in milk for. And we kind of decided that, hey, we at least need to get a verification test in before we kind of figure out how, what dose we're going to start drying off and when and whatnot there. So um, still milking two times a day. Good for you. Very good. Yeah. Uh, yes. And then we're loading up and heading to a show tomorrow um, for the last show of the year. And we're excited. I'm excited for the end, I think. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I took my truck to the car wash this morning. Um, after the buck show this weekend, it needed it and, uh, <laughs> vacuumed it all out, armor, all the inside of it, gave it a good washing. And I'm like, you know, there's always something kind of final about that last show of the year when you clean the goat clippers out <laughs> from the, you know, back of the truck. And yeah, so yep. it, it, yeah, it's, it's bittersweet. And then you think, Oh, on to breeding season and the next year. So it'll be okay. Yeah. So how was the buck show, Laura? And getting into your week on your farm. Stinky. <laughs> you know it, it it's pretty bad it's pretty bad when your daughter very kindly goes out and loads up the animals you know on the trailer so you can leave and she just like walks through the living room and you open your bedroom door and you're like whoa man my whole house reeks of buck just from her so um and it's kind of funny before you we went to the show you know, they were starting to smell you knew that the breeding season was around the corner but it's almost like you go to the buck show and that flips the hormonal switch. And now there are these disgusting, wet bearded, sputtering, blubbering, won't eat hormonal guys now, you know? So I guess getting around the other bucks kind of, kind of inspired them that way. But um, it was fun. It was fun to have kind of a last hurrah and see, you know, the people that I probably won't get to see till next spring mm-hmm. and uh, a six ring mm-hmm. buck show. That's always, you know, that's a, dang big buck show so uh, smaller numbers this year i think but they did a good job of running it so that was that was kind of fun so awesome anything else laura you on once a day milking now we are yep except for except for the dough that freshened in june we're still keeping her twice a day because um she was my problem breeder last year and i'm i'm determined that i'm not going to dry her off until i know for sure she's bred and bred for a little while so she'll be the one that you know, we'll probably milk until probably January or so just to, to make sure that she's, she's doing well. Mm-hmm. So, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Perfect. Are you on once Perfect. a day, Levi? Or are you doing We're twice? We're still doing twice now, mm-hmm. but um, since I decided I wasn't going to that show in Minnesota, then I think we'll probably go to once and we're, didn't test this year so the goat lady show yeah uh-huh. i really oh my god i almost i i almost asked for time off work so yeah. i could go to that and i just ah uh, with the dang covid stuff still going on mm-hmm. i just can't yep. that is on my bucket list have you been i've been a, a while ago and the one year we went megan and okison and i went and it was so frigid cold and we, <laughs> we didn't understand everybody else either slept in their trailers or they got a hotel room and we were the only ones in the barn and <gasps> we almost froze to death I'm not- <laughs> but it was it was a really good show ran really well they put on a dinner um the night you get there and um it's it's a good show i was looking forward to going back um I mean, I guess I haven't 100% decided I'm not going, but that's pretty much where I'm leaning. Have you well, judged at that before, though? Right, Cameron? I've judged it twice now. Well, Marge Kitchen is going to listen to this and, and try to um, tell you to come. <laughs> she will. She will. <laughs> I wish I could, Marge. Oh, I wish I could come. Yes. On my bucket list. I promise I'll come some year. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, outside of the show is happening. What's happening in the Edgar world there, Laura? Um, the only thing that I can really think of, it looks like that they're still making progress on NG and mm-hmm. whittling away with some of the issues and the problems. And, um, and then I saw that the link for the convention registration is open now, if, if that's something that you're interested in going to, mm-hmm. and if you can at all go, I sure would encourage it. It's a lot of fun. Um, what, what would you like to bring up in the ADGA world, Cameron? 
Yes, I've been excited for this here. I know. <laughs> the, the spotlight sale nomination or, or goats that were nominated have been announced and accepted to the sale, which is exciting. However, we get this same kind of response, I feel like, every year with the spotlight sale. Well, why isn't there more of X breed in or Y breed of in or Z breed of in? Or, wow, they really didn't select a lot of Alpines. Or, you know, X, Y, Z here. And this year it just happens to be Alpines. Laura and I and Levi's breed here that had no animals accepted to the sale. Or the fact that no one nominated any animals for the sale. And, you know, people will often go on social media. And this is my diatribe for the day. And I promise it will be my only one. Because, Levi, you're going to give us a lot of good information. <laughs> and the only, di only diatribe of the day here is is people complain that there's not enough animals in the sale or that there's not enough um that there's not more representation of a certain breed there that can only happen you can only get more animals in it is if you nominate them we had uh laura uh we had um christy bozo on to talk about it there and talk about um how to nominate your animals and what would look like in a in the convention packet um, we, we've had people on talking about it here. It's your job as an AGA member because that information comes out to see if you want to nominate one and you want to represent your herd on the big scale. Maybe you want to see an Alpine breed. It's your job as an AGA member to do that and step up to that plate instead of saying, well, why didn't they let any more Alpines in? Well, the sad truth is that probably no one nominated an Alpine for the spotlight sale this year. Right. I would also say too, you know, people will nominate when they feel like that, that there's interest in doing that, you know? So if you see a herd that you think has really amazing animals, you might say to them, Hey, have you ever considered nominating an animal to the spotlight sale? I think your herds at that point, or I think you have something to offer to our breed or, or whatever, you know, you can, you can be encouraging of others to do that too. Yeah. It's, it, it really just starts with you as a member saying, I want to represent in a spotlight sale instead of questioning. And I saw this so many times, no Alpines question mark. I think it was like five people in a row. And I was like, mm -hmm. see rant above, see rant above, see rant above <laughs> on Facebook. Because, because there's, it's like, I get it. Yeah. There's no Alpines, but the sad truth of the matter is, is more than likely no one nominated an Alpine. And I don't know that I'm not on a spotlight sale. Um, my blood is boiling now. So I'm just going to, I'm going to, Close. I think that's my final rant on the spotlight sale. <laughs> well, having said that, um, I, I will just throw this out there. As an owner of a buck that came from the last spotlight sale, I really like his daughters and I feel like that he was a good purchase. So, you know, if you're considering looking at the animals that have been nominated in the spotlight sale, don't be afraid to pull the trigger and make that phone call or put your hand up in the air and bid because it's a heck of a lot of fun to bid on them. And, um, you know, it's kind of, kind of fun to have them too. Yeah, so, yeah. And Levi, I know you've done some bidding for the spotlight sale before. I have. Actually, he, he's the one that I, I got to call. I so. did. I bid on Laura's and then um, Sarah and I bid on an Alpine one time. Oh, yep. that's cool. Did you get it? <laughs> we did not get it. <laughs> we were the contending bidder though. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> that's fun. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. And, you know, you can get some really cool pedigreed animals that you might not be able to get otherwise. Yeah, and, absolutely. Um, you know, there if you look back, there's kind of a higher percentage of spotlight sale animals that have been successful over the years mm -hmm. than, you know, others. So absolutely. that's kind of cool, too. So, yeah. Well, thinking about the spotlight sale. Thinking about, you know, maybe next year after Cameron's rant, we're going to nominate some goats for the spotlight sale. Let's talk about getting our boys ready and preparing for breeding season. Let's do that. So part of the reason why I asked Levi here, not only does he work with reproduction all the time, he's an experienced breeder who's who's had a lot of successful years of breeding dairy goats, but he's also a semen collector. So he knows what difference it makes to have those boys in good health and in the things to do that. So, so I thought this would be a pretty appropriate time to kind of talk about this, just getting animals ready and, and um, what you need to be thinking about and getting those boys ready for their um, hard work for a few months here. So um, I thought maybe a good place to start out was just like in the beginning, what do you do before you want to start breeding? What kind of things do you need to do to get those bucks ready? 
Sure. So, um, and this is something I've talked to Laura about too, but um, it does seem like on so many herds, the bucks are the most forgotten child on the farm um, because we are actively showing our does or, um, you know, milking our does every day and the bucks are the easy chores. So um, they often get neglected when it comes to mineral protocols and things like that. And so um, so one thing everybody needs to know is um, it takes 45 to 60 days to make a sperm cell for the testy to make a sperm cell. So we should be thinking two months prior to uh, breeding season when we're starting to focus on our bucks and make sure we're doing all that we can for our bucks, um, including a trace mineral program that's um, adequate and um, parasite control and just overall health of the buck um, because you don't want him ill in the 60 days prior or during breeding season. So when you talk about ill, Levi, um, are you talking... Any type of illness, snotty nose, um, maybe scours from sure. some rich hay, or are you, you know, are some illnesses worse, like a fever or? Yep, absolutely. So um, a, f- a fever that can be prolonged for a while, if it's a short spike, it's not as detrimental, but a fever that's prolonged for a while can actually kill off all um, sperm cells that are either made or even in the process of being made. And so after a buck has had a fever that's killing sperm cells, um, he won't, he will be sterile for uh, 60 days or so. Um, Sometimes a little sooner, sometimes a little later, but um, he will be sterile for a while. And um, I know we were going to talk about sterility later down the road, but um, so that's one thing that when it comes to illnesses, that is something you need to take pretty seriously right before breeding season. If he's holding a fever for any length of time, that's something you need to be treating uh, more so. And as far as these like kind of subclinical illnesses, like if we see a buck kid with maybe a little bit of a snotty nose, um, that's not something that um, is going to necessarily uh, be detrimental to viability of sperm cells. But um, and so it, it's kind of a just how sick is he kind of okay. so it would be diarrhea would that be okay um generally yeah your gi things don't affect um the buck that much um especially if you can get it remedied fairly quick because if he's in a negative energy balance if he's losing more energy than he's gaining in then um repros one of the first to go when it comes to um, health of the animal. So if he's in a negative energy balance, not getting enough nutrients in, then that's going to affect um, the viability. But just having a bout of diarrhea for a day or two is going to be less severe than say he had a little bit of a cold and he's running a fever and he's got a respiratory issue. Are there some drugs that are safer to use to help them get over those type of things than others? Yeah. And so I, the other thing I wanted to mention is I'm not a veterinarian. Most of these are from my own experiences. So that note, make that note. But um, most antibiotics are going to be safe for your um, for the health of the breeding ability of your buck. Um, for And along that same line is most illnesses that affect the animal um, doesn't affect the testy because the testy to get a little veterinarian on you, the testy <laughs> and your eye and the eyeballs are what's called privileged tissue. And I'm sure um, Laura, as a nurse, you have heard of this, but um, it makes it difficult for the immune system to get to that tissue. And so um, the, because of that, um, your, those privileged tissues don't get ill or infected very often, but if they do, then they get to be difficult to treat. And so um, I, I know there's a very short list of um, antibiotics that will treat um, if you had like some sort of infection in the epididymis or something along those lines. I mean, it gets pretty tricky to treat um, for some, some cases. So talking about parasite control, mm-hmm. um, should you worm like way early? Can you worm during breeding season? Yep. Again, um, there's, there's no not to my knowledge, there's no real anything that can harm the sperm um, if you if you give it for a treatment. But going back to the making sure they're in a healthy balance and they're getting a good trace mineral um, and they're in a positive energy balance and make sure they're in 
good condition, you would definitely want to think about getting your bucks dewormed before that. And if, if we're talking 60 days before breeding season, these are all things that we should be taking into account when we're considering the health of the buck. What about, what about Levi, his body condition? Obviously you don't want them too, too skinny looking or too fat, which is my current problem right now. And we'll probably get into that at some point because I need to figure out how to make my buck actually be able to breed his does. Um, but um, what's kind of the, the striking balance there between good body condition? Obviously they're going to lose that with rut. Right. So um, in, in any case, I always think that a goat should be at the proper body condition score of like three and a half. Um, and cause no matter what, um, whether what extreme of the body condition scorecard you're on, it's not going to be good for the animal. And um, talking on the female side, um, fat animals have significantly harder time breeding than uh, animal that's maybe a one point lower on the on the body condition score. So um, there, there's some things to take into account there. But um, when it comes to a overweight buck, one thing that um, people may not always understand. I've had times where I go to collect a buck and they say, oh, he's just in the greatest condition and you're going to just lo- love how well he looks. And we're in the middle of November where the bucks should be in raging rut. And um, those bucks often won't have the testosterone um, in their body to keep them um, in a really vigorous rut. And so with a lower testosterone, they're usually probably not going to have the viability of sperm cells, nor the drive to breed does. And so everybody says, oh, you need your bucks in to be great condition during breeding season. But it actually is somewhat counterintuitive to have a fat buck during breeding season because whatever is keeping him from going into hard rut is keeping him fat, probably. So when bucks are overweight, does does the fat in a buck also store estrogen like it does in people? Yep. yep. I'm sure. I mean, I don't know for fact, but I'm sh- sure that okay. probably has something to do that with that. That maybe a dumb question. No, Sorry. I'm not sure. I'm not, that's one of those things. I'm not uh-huh. sure. Okay, cool. Interesting. Yes. And I'm not, and I'm not talking about bucks that are fat during the summer. It's more so bucks that continue to be fat through rut or, or their lack of rut. Mm-hmm. basically okay yeah i mean that makes perfect sense here Ooh, levi you got me concerned now um <laughs> i'm gonna have to go yeah I, I lots of things to think about here um what about grooming levi hoof trimming you suggest clipping around the sheets i mean what are your thoughts on just overall grooming yeah absolutely this is definitely falls into the category of do as i say not as i do but um <laughs> Keep keep uh, keeping your bucks on with good wheels underneath them is always a good thing. And um, during buck collection, um, it, your whoever's collecting your bucks will greatly appreciate if you keep the um, sheath area clean. And uh, you do want to make sure you leave some hair on the actual sh- end of the sheath um, for sanitary reasons. But keeping those shaggy togs with um, curtains of hair down their flanks definitely trim them up to make it easier accessible the buck can always find his way but he uh the collector the guy jump with the (laughs) av might not always find the way so i want to jump back to what you just said leave little hair on the sheath for sanitary reasons yep without can you explain that a little bit better sure so um with a little hair on the end of the sheath um it'll help direct urine away from the sheath to keep from getting pizzle rot and so if you can imagine if you trim it short, then the urine is going to stick to the end of the sheath and have more prone to scald and um, things like that. Interesting. Didn't think about that. Yep. Yep. Just a, even just uh, half an inch or one inch is plenty. So don't take the 40 blade down. Right. Don't take the 40 yeah. blade. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> um, I've heard some people say that if you give Bosi too close to a collection, I would assume it would be the same thing with breeding, that that's detrimental to um, semen production. Is that true? Not to my knowledge, okay. but i um, not saying that people have had experiences that I haven't. Because um, I I will often give multi-men or BOCI to my bucks um, prior to breeding season, and I've not had a, a skip in any kind of fertility or anything like that. Cool. Good. But, Good. 
Not Perfect. saying it doesn't happen, just not in my experience. Gotcha. Well, I think we can transition here and talk about kind of working with younger bucks and or virgins, for lack of a better term there, or, or guys that really don't know their way around the females yet. <laughs> um, sure. And I just, I just got, I actually got one on a couple of days ago and was just like, okay, dude, are you going to kind of figure this out? You know, but the question always becomes is how young is too young? For, in my opinion, it's all buck dependent. Um, and sometimes it's breed dependent. Um, there's definitely those Nigerian bucks that'll be eager and ready to go at just a couple months old. And then there are, um, not to point anybody out, but there's some Nubian bucks that don't seem to get it until they're a year old. And so um, I think that on um, um, vigor and willingness to breed and confidence to breed, which some people might chuckle at, but that's definitely a thing. Um, I think it's buck and breed dependent. And so um, I wouldn't be too scared to have um, a big Nubian buck that is six months, seven months old and he's not breeding. I, I wouldn't be that wouldn't be something that worries me. Now, if you got to be over a year old and he's still not breeding in his second season, then that's something you want to take into account. Okay. Um, I've seen young bucks that you'll think, oh, good, he's interested in this doe, and he goes and thinks he's going to nurse her instead oh. of breeding her. So yeah. that, that's always kind of you're right. like, okay, buddy, no. So is there anything you can do to help those young bikes have the confidence? Because I think we've all seen the times when you'll have um, an aggressive doe Mm -hmm. who's just like, she has that expression on her face. You don't know what you're doing and I'm about done with you here. So is there anything you can do to kind of help? So in my personal experience, if I have a, a young buck that, is showing me those signs of being a little bit more timid during breeding. I want to make sure that um, he is not necessarily pinned with older bucks or even same year. Like if these are buck kids, even just a January buck, that's maybe tossing them around a little bit, making them a little more timid in his pen. So individual um, housing is a good thing for these timid bucks. And then also um, like, like you were mentioning, making sure it's not a, this is another thing that's going to sound funny, but um, a traumatizing experience when he's going to mount a doe because um, I have definitely had or seen witnessed um, bucks that have a traumatizing first couple experiences. And then they're very, very timid when it comes to breeding later that year until they get it, get it down pat. And so I definitely want to caution everybody for, uh, if a buck, if you had any idea that a buck would be maybe be a little more timid if he's not showing as much rut, then make sure it's not going to be a uh, real dominant doe, uh, maybe a doe kid or something along those lines. Okay. Give him some success first. Before. Give him, a, uh, and that's uh, that's the other thing I was going to mention too is um, sometimes collecting a buck the first time he's ever jumped can be confusing experience too because um they don't necessarily have to figure things out on their own because the person running the av and um so that could be something i've seen and you sh- everybody should be cleaning out their bucks prior to collection anyway but um i definitely would think i, I would like to see him breeding a doe prior to collection just to make sure he gets it all figured out very good what about what about big does and small bucks or you know we all want to breed that five-year-old that maybe this exciting buck kid we got. What Do you have any ideas to help them make that or spark that love connection? Sure. And um, again, it goes back to if you have a um, more willing buck kid that helps quite a bit. And um, we've all been in the situation where we're trying to shove something under the buck's feet so that he can reach a little further. And in all seriousness, my, uh, out of all of the things that you think would work, just getting on a slope of a hill helps more than anything, because it's not something he's trying to teeter on top of to try and mount the dough, but that's definitely something that can be difficult. And on the opposite end of the spectrum, having a large buck and a young doe, I've, had less issues with this just because as as quick as most bucks breed, they're not causing too much trauma, but um, that's definitely a thing to, you have to deal with too. Well, yeah. And I was kind of thinking about this as well. and thinking about some of the things that we've struggled with 
and we've just put the flatbed all lowered it down and tilted it up a little bit and he's just kind of flung himself yep. towards the towards the girl <laughs> and he can usually find a love connection that way there but right. i've also had times when i've had younger bucks and the rump might be a little bit more flat than he's oh, right. maybe used to and we've right. run into issues there so any thoughts on that not really, unfortunately, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Some of those does with really flat rumps, just the angle of the vaginal vault is just a little more flat as well. And if he's lower down, he's coming at a different angle. So um, no, not really. I mean, I wish I had a really great idea for you. But um, like I said, what we'll do is on a slope of a hill or just outside of the concrete of the barn, there's a little bit of a drop off and we'll try and back the does back feet just up to that. And that seemed to help with us a little bit. We have a ditch. Yep. yep. <laughs> yeah. Put put the dough in the ditch and the and the buck on the gravel. They right. can usually figure it out. So yep. yeah. <laughs> Thanks. The, na- the neighbors. <laughs> well, anyway, hopefully you have neighbors who are used to goats by the time you get to breeding season because there's all all kinds of education that can happen that way. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What if you have a buck that is just not interested. Is there anything you can do to like get him, get him a little bit more into the mood there? Sure. And this, this doesn't pertain to baby bucks. Cause like I said, you don't want to cause any kind of competition with baby bucks, but um, just to keep them from being timid, but um, with mature bucks and sometimes with our older bucks, they um, have a lower libido and we'll use this um, trick in the, when we're collecting often, because if, if an older bucks jumped a couple times and we're trying to get a couple more units of semen out of him, then um, he's less willing to jump. And so what we'll do is um, sometimes bring a, another buck as competition. And so opposite of what we try to do with baby bucks is we try and um, increase the competition to keep them um, interested. And um, obviously as all, animals they they want to be the one to service the most offspring so the competition helps with uh their vigor a little bit i i think the one thing and and yeah you have it here what if the doe hates the buck i love this question because you've seen it and mostly it's those alpines that are ear biters no offense lord the alpines but (laughs) i'm sure i'm sure levi knows this too as an alpine enthusiast as well if you have a doe that hates like absolutely hates the buck and I've seen that before too. She would stand all day for the buck you don't want her to be bred to. Right. But then when you bring her up to that one that you do want, she like walks the heck away and won't stand at all for him. Have you had that experience? Limitedly, limitedly. Um, but for for whatever, and often when I when that is the case for me, it's usually a mature doe that doesn't want serviced by a baby buck. And so unfortunately there's not much you can do um, to my knowledge. Maybe somebody else has a great um, feat that has, would be great. Let me know if you do, but um, for the most part, um, what sometimes we'll do is we'll have one of us hold the buck that she desires and try and sneak in the other buck that, (laughs) that, that we're anticipating breeding him to. But sometimes there's just not much you can do because they're, if they're going to fight it, then that's, it's just not going. Let let oh. the desired man whisper sweet nothings yeah. in her ear while the other one takes care of the business. Pretty well, yep. yeah. Right, <laughs> yeah, that's the only thing that I've ever tried. And uh-huh. and like you said, sometimes it works and other times you're like, okay, you can just have who you want. Right. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. And then it's those babies that turn out amazing and when they got to pick. Right, that's right. And you think, gosh, dang it, she knew. Yeah, <laughs> yeah of course. <laughs> What about working with older bucks, kind of transitioning away from the younger bucks here? Um, we kind of talked about, you know, the big bucks and the small doe and having problems there. And Levi, you talked about them being a little timid after that. You've seen a lot of that, right? Uh, I wouldn't say a lot of it, but um, okay. definitely there's there's some bucks that tend to be a little more timid after a poor first couple experiences. Yes. Okay. And then what um, do you do with those bucks that are, and I've, I mean, I think we've all probably seen them. They're not just assertive breeders. Mm-hmm. They are aggressive breeders right. and scare the snot out of the doe. Sure. Um, and that, that gets to be a difficult thing. And honestly, I hate dealing with bucks like that. Even 
when I'm collecting them or if, if it's at home too. And um, unfortunately, like I said, there's not much you can do. A lot of that is um, a genetic behavior. And so that's a, uh, a behavior that they're going to have. It's not something that you can necessarily train out of them. But um, on the other chance is if, if he's never been an assertive breeder or a really aggressive breeder for the first five years of his life and we're getting towards the end of his life um, and then he starts to become like that, and maybe you haven't seen some him settling some does. Um, we've we observed that bucks tend to get more aggressive as they turn sterile, and um, it's just one of those things with a hormonal imbalance that's happening. And so some of these older bucks, and which these this is what you're gonna find out eventually if if this is the case. But um, these older bucks that um, are sterile without your knowing, um, they are ones that never actually try and breed the doe. They just try and breed the crap out of her. And so um, if if that's the case, um, then obviously you'd want to try and get a semen sample and try and check viability of, of the cells. So you could say he's almost overcompensating for something. Right. Absolutely. Or maybe he's just really frustrated because he's not able to do his job. Right. So he's just going to be mean about yep. it. Yeah. Hmm. That's frustrating. So that's something we'll we'll observe um, when when a buck becomes significantly more aggressive than he ever has been prior. And I'm not saying that's the always the case. If you're like, oh, last year he was fine, and this year he's a turd, then I'm not saying, oh my gosh, he's sterile. But that's something to think about. Gotcha. So what about um, when problems might arise here? So say he's not settling does, he's shooting blanks, as I like to refer to it as or he's got problems with equipment, where do you generally recommend people to go when that happens? Yeah, so the biggest or the the first big step in diagnostic is getting a semen sample and or uh, an ejaculate and seeing what he is producing. And so if it's a buck that um, when you when you collect him, he has a bunch of dead cells and um, he's technically sterile because he's not able to fertilize um, the dough, but um, he's not, he's still kicking out cells. And so that could be a case where, like we talked about earlier, where he had a fever. And so maybe even unbeknownst to you, he had a fever 30 days ago and he's still kicking out dead cells that um, got killed during the fever. And so um, if if you do have a buck that isn't settling the doughs for you, then that's the first step. Get a cell sample or a, a ejaculate and see what's happening. Now, on the other side, if if he is producing no cells, then that's your classic gone sterile and there's nothing to be done. So when, I, I'm just going to ask what's probably a simple question. Is this something that anybody's vet should be able to do? If it's a large animal vet, I would say 99.9% .9 of them would be able to do it. Good. Because they can do it with um, if they're doing their own fecals or anything like that, they should be able to um, vi uh, evaluate semen viability. Maybe not to the extent that we do when we're freezing semen, but they should be able to tell you yes or no, there's live cells or there's not, or there's any cells, dead cells, or if it's just a clear sample. So if your vet is taking your vet or your local AI collector <laughs> friend yep. takes a look at, um, an ejaculate sample instead of just seeing maybe dead cells, sometimes you can see cells that aren't normal, mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. What causes that kind of a problem? And so each um, sperm morphology or abnormal cell um, is, can be caused by something different. And so um, on there's an abnormality that happens when a buck is, not keeping sperm in his epididymis long enough to mature. So that looks like one thing. There is um, an abnormality that is indicative of whether he has an epididymal infection. And then there's mineral abnormalities. And so like each different abnormality, whether it's a detached head or tail or a distal droplet, tells you um, what that might be. And so it just kind of depends on what abnormality they're Rockin'. So you'd want to work with your vet or your Absolutely. state university or yep. somebody who knows what they're looking at yep. to kind of diagnose that. Or your ethereal specialist at the university. Yep. Very cool. Awesome there. Anything else on bucks before we kind of transition to collection? Um, I, I, I do have oh, a, another question. I okay. know that uh, because my husband is, 
has bred cattle for a long time. Um, when you buy cattle from a sale barn or you take cattle to sell, especially bulls, they do a lot of sexually transmitted disease testing. Mm -hmm. You don't really hear about that much with goats. Right. Is that something that uh, goat owners should keep in the back of their mind or think about like chlamydia, for example? Yep. Absolutely. So um, I think it's always a good idea, especially if you don't know the herd that it's coming from. Um, like when you're buying a goat from the spotlight sale, these animals should be virgin animals and they shouldn't be have used have been used before. But if you're buying a buck that has um, worked in somebody else's herd and you maybe don't know the other herd, then I definitely would think about doing some sort of testing. And depends on what um, college or um, lab you're working with. A lot of them will have like a combo panel of multiple things that you can test for. And um, there's some that are just herd health ones and some of them are more STD related ones. But I definitely think it's something that should be considered if you're buying an animal that's um, serviced animals in another, another, in another herd. Very good. Gotcha. Well, that's something that uh, it's a conversation that Catherine and I literally just had about, um, and maybe for people that are maybe leasing out bucks or there are, um, uh, using stud service, is that something to consider as well there? Absolutely. And that's why I always think it's kind of a, for me anyway, kind of a sticky situation to do, um, roadside breedings for people just because of the, um, fear of something like that happen actually when my my dad has had goats um for before i was around and um before we were josh and i were around um dad had a leased a buck and brought chlamydia back to his whole herd and that was before treatment was very viable and so he had to sell the whole herd um slaughter only through the auction and it was pretty traumatizing experience so that's always in the back of my head when i when somebody asks if they can come breed a doe are there um, problems with equipment? I'm making little yeah. quote things here that might impact breeding and how would you diagnose that? And is there anything that can be done for things like that? Yeah. So um, that's definitely something that can occur. And so um, most of the time when it comes to uh, we're when we're talking about the bucks, it's usually an issue with extending his penis. And so um, a lot of things can cause his inability to do so. Um, the muscle that um, extends can be ruptured or um, he can have an infection in his sheath and then during the healing process gets um, a lot of adhesions and then he and then it's just stuck in the sheath. And so um, as far as equipment malfunctions, I would say those are the two more common ones. And most people are noticing, uh, depends on how um, observant the owner is during breeding, um, a lot of times they'll catch it when they say, well, I see him mount, but I never see him extend or mm -hmm. it never looks like he finishes the the duty and so um that's generally when people are going to notice it and then most of your veterinarians should be able to do a an exam where they try to extend um the the buck and that's something that if that can't happen then you kind of know where to start diagnosing what else is wrong can that be fixed Generally, no, not to my knowledge. Okay. Um, especially the infected in the sheath, those are a bunch of adhesions. And then if you break down the adhesions, they're just going to cause more adhesions. I don't know if the um, muscle the that extends the um, sheet or the penis is fixable. I'm not sure. Probably not. Definitely. I would guess no, but. Okay. All right. Levi, well, I think I have one last question here. And I don't know if Flora has any more questions on just getting them in shape, but in cattle, they talk about like breeding soundness exams. Is there any type of at home breeding soundness exam that people can find maybe on the internet or something like that? Not to my knowledge. Um, but I do know I have some clients that I, I collect for that will do, um, their own clean outs. And so sometimes people will purchase an AV, just the same AV that we use, um, to collect your bucks and they'll clean them out um, jumping a doe in heat and just clean out all their bucks. And some of them will use that ejaculate to do their own kind of at home breeding, breeding soundness exam. I would say quite a few people have a microscope at home these days, just with the availability that they've had. So, um, I think that's something you can do. And with very limited microscope knowledge, you can see if there's viable cells or not. Got for it. the most part. 
I think that's a great place to transition into talking about collecting. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a, as a very in-demand experienced collector, I know that you have things that you really like for your clients to do mm-hmm. in prep, preparing their animals for a collection. So you want to kind of start from the top and go from there? Sure. Absolutely. So, um, so I learned those of you that don't know, uh, the great Karen Lewis of, uh, frozen assets is who trained me, uh, quite a few years ago. And I, um, attribute all of my success and, um, high standard quality to her. Um, because most people that have ever collected by Karen knows that she has, um, a v- extremely high uh, quality standard that she of the product that she puts up, and so um, a lot of the things she's trained me are kind of the things that we've mentioned before: is making sure they're on a um, good a good trace mineral um, supplement program, and just overall good health of the buck, um, like the things we mentioned before, but. Also, prior to collection, it's pretty important that um, you get your bucks used before collection day because especially for older bucks, they might have um, some cells that are hanging out in the epididymis that have been there for a while, and they might still be able to um, service a doe, and they might look just fine on the scope, but um, not necessarily your best candidates for freezing. So getting your bucks cleaned out um, a couple days prior to collection is a good thing. Can you overuse them too much before collection? Absolutely. So um, uh, depending on the age of the buck, he's only producing so many cells a day um, or the potential of so many cells a day. Um, And so depending on how many units you were anticipating getting, um, you definitely want to make sure you're not using him the day before or if you're trying to get 100 straws off of him, maybe five days prior to collection. Okay. Good to know. That makes sense. That makes sense there. What about, um, you know, any type of paperwork stuff? I know that's really important beginning of that. And I know you might have a different protocol than some other people, but what type of paperwork do you guys need? Yeah. So each buck that's collected needs to have a collection report and those reports are provided by ADGA. And um, the way I do my collection reports and um, both Cameron and Laura have worked with me before um, on the collection report, which if that needed changed, then that's another discussion. But on the collection report, it says um, the white copy, which is the original copy is to be sent to ADGA by the owner of the buck. And if you read the fine print on the top of that, that's what the instructions on the collection report say. And so I, to keep things, um, clients from getting frustrated with me on my timeliness of sending in my collection reports, I do that very thing. I make the, I have the clients send off their own collection report. So I get a copy, they get a copy to keep, and then they have a copy that needs to be sent to ADGA. So one thing I want to point out about this, and maybe it's always been that way, but I just discovered it on NG this weekend. Underneath your bucks, Uh, underneath your bucks account page it has bcr in the left hand column have you seen this Mm -mm. have you seen this cameron no i haven't it's a buck collection report and if you click on that it will show all the collection reports that have been filed for that buck and the number of straws for each collection and that's if if it's your buck if it's your buck yes i don't know if like i could pull up cameron's buck and see that or not I doubt if it. I do a search for all animals, because I can pull up show wins that way. Oh, true. So I don't know. But I just think that's really cool that you can see pretty easily that you have that that collection report on file. Right. So. Well, nice. I would think, and this is my opinion here, we're kind of getting away from the topic. That would be nice to see those collection reports and the dates they were submitted. Because sometimes we've found that the straws of semen don't always match the collection form because they processed it the day after. Yep. Absolutely. And, and some of that could just be data entry issues on the collector's part when they're writing it down or on um, Adga's a, a sure. side. Mm-hmm. So it's hard, hard to say. Right. Yeah. So having a jump, having a doe to be jumped mm-hmm. is like prime for that collection day. Right. Because if you don't have a doe, you're not going to get that buck to jump, right? Absolutely. So what kind of things do you tell your clients about having does and how many does do you need and so forth? Sure. So um, personally, I always tell 
everyone that if they're going to collect one or two bucks, they need to have two does that are in standing heat that day. And that means, depending on your protocol that you're using, which is a whole nother topic, um, you need to set up four or five does. Um, because, yes, you might have 80% of the does that re, uh, properly sync to the protocol, but they might not be on the right timing. And so, um, and then if somebody's collecting even more bucks, if they're collecting six or eight bucks, then we want even more buck or does to be teasers just because does get tired. Um, they get smelly by other bucks and the bucks won't want to mount them. So um, having the right amount of actual does and heat is pretty important because um, I don't do electro ejaculate for um, collecting. Uh, I just found that it doesn't provide the quality of semen that we like to provide our customers. And so um, that's not an option for me. So if you don't have a dough and heat, then we're not going to, nobody's going to be happy today. <laughs> yeah, no, I got it. <laughs> well, it's interesting you say of the electro ejaculation because we've had some limited experience with it and got one mixed results. I'll say, I think only of the three bucks we had collected, one was, was super viable and the other two were not. And it was such poor quality of semen that we ended up dumping actually most of it. Yep. And again, this is just my experience. This is the experiences that I've put forward on my bucks or a few limited um, clients, but um, it just seems like with the electro, um, it, you're kind of just dumping everything out that the buck has in his epididymis. And with a natural ejaculate, it just seems to be a more quality sample. And um, I'm, I guess I don't really know the real details behind it, but that's just in my experience, what I've witnessed is just kind of, you get what you get with an electro ejaculate. So it's also important that you make sure your bucks are DNA typed. For sure. Right. So they have to be DNA typed to um, register any progeny out of them. We can still collect them and we can send the report in. But on the report, you have to say yes or no if the buck has been DNA'd. And if you put no and or if you put yes and they find out that he's not DNA'd, then they hold those papers until he is DNA'd to be processed. And so and some, something that I found out that I didn't know, maybe I was just um, dense and didn't realize it. If you have gotten your buck collected and then something happens and he dies, mm -hmm. you can send in one of those straws and they can right. get DNA from that yep. for your collection report. So Absolutely. And it is a mess, at least it was a mess back in the day, to get them to almost process that paperwork unless they're DNA type. And they, they legit, they hold them back. They won't even put a collection memo on file. They will wait until the DNA is there and you almost have to call the office and say, hey... I have DNA for these bucks now. Can you put the collection memo on file? Right, Which right. I don't know how that works in the new system or anything there, but that was my experience with the old system there. Right. Yeah. So the day of collection, kind of talk about how that works. So, uh, yeah, every, every collector does it just a little bit differently. Um, but the way I was trained and the way I do it is um, – that afternoon, we usually start about noon and we'll uh, start jumping bucks. And as you can imagine, we try and get one buck um, collected in a shorter period of time. We're not going to try and collect them at noon and then try and collect them at eight o'clock, just so the samples are similar ages. And um, depends on how many uh, units you are asking for out of that buck. Um, but generally, it's, you're going to expect to jump a buck at least three times. And that's one thing that can be a little frustrating for us as collectors when people only have allotted themselves 30 minutes to be there. And um, it's it's definitely a longer process than that. And so um, we, we'll cycle through bucks, but um, just a few bucks at a time. So we're not going to cycle through all 10 bucks or 12 bucks that we have to collect that day. We'll cycle through a couple and then come back around to the first buck we collected until we get how many straws they were asking for. So what is a good, what is a good rule of thumb? What's, what's, what's a good expectation to have for a baby buck versus um, a mature buck? Yeah. And that's another one of those things that's kind of breed dependent and buck dependent. But um, I always tell people that baby bucks will make on average 30 to 50 straws. Some of them will make more. Some of them might not make that many. Um, but if somebody says, I want to get as many as I can, how many straws can we print? I said, I really don't feel comfortable printing more than 60 just because I'm not going to, uh, I pre have all my straws pre-printed. And so I'm not going to print you a hundred straws with the hopes of a 
three-month-old buck kid to fill them all. <laughs> <laughs> the same thing with a mature buck then what are you looking at for that yeah so mature bucks again breed dependent um and buck dependent but um most mature bucks that are year older year or older will um usually top out about 80 straws and some of them i we've gotten 200 straws on a nubian buck before and then there's also been bucks that um we struggled to get i had a, one of the first alpine bucks that i collected of my own um he he made nine straws as a buck kid. And Not nine. nine. Not ninety. Yeah. Nope. Nine. nine. Oh. And um, so it, it just kind of depends on the buck. But um, if somebody wants a round figure, I say thirty to fifty for a kid. And if you're going to try and get max numbers on a senior buck, I'll print a hundred. But most of them won't fill that. So then, after you get it collected, there's a lot of work on your end because you never sit down in yep. a buck collection. You're like busy and busy way into the hours of the night mm -hmm. fixing mm -hmm. that anything else you want to say about about mm, that not necessarily like like we said it's it's very important and i know that's kind of the main topic of this is getting your bucks ready but if you're gonna have your buck collected um you're gonna for everybody to have a good day just having a good healthy buck is very important because nothing's more frustrating for me going to place and um finding that they forgot about their buck for the last four months in the back of their barn and he's poor nutritioned and hasn't got any TLC and um, cause it, I can't do my job and then you don't get the product that you were asking for. So it's just kind of a frustrating experience for everybody. So if I could ask everybody to do one thing, it'd be make sure you're taking quality care of your bucks. Give your boys some love too. That's right. right? Absolutely. <laughs> one thing I really like about you guys, and I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to plug your business here is, is that you provide the, the post thaw data on the information as well there, yep. which is really nice. And not all processors have done that. So if you are getting your bucks collected, I would encourage you to garner that information if you can. Um, because I've had people that would say, well, my vet threw that straw out because the straw was junk. And I was like, no, here's the post-thaw results of what went into that straw. Right. You know, that there was viable semen in there. So something like that, that, that could happen down the road is, is, is vital information. And I would encourage people to get as much information as about the semen quality as possible. Right. Absolutely. And, um, one thing that I will do a plug for, Karen, who trained me, is that's one thing that separates her from some of the other people is um, if it doesn't meet her quality of standard on a post-thaw, then it doesn't get to come back to the owner of the buck. It just gets discarded and they don't get a decision in the fact. There are um, collectors, I know there's a, <clears throat> a collector that does a lot of sheep work, obviously won't name names, that um, they produce or they process the semen just like they should, which nobody's trying to do a bad job. But at the end of the day, if that post thaws 30%, they tell the owner it's 30%. Here you go. Do you want it or not? And they leave it into their arms, whether they uh, accept that semen at that quality or not. And for me, um, I have to put my business name on that straw and I'm trying to uphold a reputation that um, Karen and has so hardly worked at to uh to provide for herself and i feel like i'm her protege so um i i feel like that's something i should do um not only for myself but um, for karen as well so um that brought a question to mind um you'll hear a lot of people talk about checking their semen when they are using it then mm -hmm. for an ai and that uh, they looked at it and oh, I didn't see anything swimming under there. Can you kind of talk about the process that is a good standard process to have to examine the quality of semen in a straw? Sure. Like, do you look at it before you put it in the dough? Do you look at it afterwards or? So I've done both and I don't know that I necessarily have a preference. The only thing is when I'm checking uh, a semen after I put that have inseminated the dough, sometimes I get anxious about breeding the dough and I don't remember to retain a little bit of semen at the end when plunging the semen. So I would say that's one thing to think about. But the other thing is, if it's um, semen that you are questioning the quality of anyway, um, checking before AIing is not a bad idea. And um, so definitely you can, you can take a small sample from the very end of the straw before, once you have it loaded in your gun and your sheath and um, do an analysis that way. 
And um, I think that's a good idea. And I've done that before when I have semen from an unknown processor or of age that might have been from tank to tank. And that's something I'm going to take into account, especially especially we're going to later in the season. I can't really risk her not taking to some subpar semen. So, and then one thing I would say about uh, evaluating semen is um, knowing how to run a microscope in general is going to help you a lot. A lot of people that say, I quote, didn't see anything in the sample. It's most likely a a microscope malfunction. So just doing a little plane with your microscope prior to needing to use it for a semen eval would be a good thing. You always start with a lower magnification. So, um, that it's easier to focus and then you zoom into a higher magnification um, once you get it kind of tuned in. Very good. Anything awesome. else you want to share? Uh, not that I can think of. All right. Well, Cameron, what do you have to close us out today? I don't have anything. Uh, this has been a great episode. Lots of insight. Levi, we thank you. Where can we find information on Panacea Dairy Goats or Cryo Capri? Uh, both places, the best places to look are on Facebook. Um, they're, uh, they're, both of them have a Facebook page. Um, the Cryo Caprine page is not very um, active just due to the fact of since I do this buck collection on weekends and uh, long weekends, my weekends book up pretty quickly. So like, uh, like you guys were saying, it's um, hard to sometimes get me nailed down for a date just because of how much, uh, how limited time I have and with the short window of time we do have that makes gotcha. sense that, that means yeah. you're in demand that's, that's a good right thing. that's right <laughs> <laughs> awesome as always listeners thank you so much um we will be back here next week same time same place if you like us uh, uh give us or excuse me uh feel free to rate us on apple itunes spotify wherever you get your podcast if you don't like us give us some feedback again we're always listening to feedback we're always wanting new ideas for podcasts um, if you want us to talk about something specifically, we will go out and go out and find it for you guys. And always have a great week. Have a great week. And guess what, Cameron? What? We're getting real close to our birthday. Oh, we are. We are. So we'll, we'll have something exciting for that. We're working on yes. it. So we're working on it. As Cameron said, everybody have a great week and we'll see you next week on Goat Gab. <laughs>